This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded between the lands of the Darug and the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Josie Clark is a woman on a mission. She's had an incredible 2022. She's a PhD student. She's the winner of the 2022 New South Wales and ACT Rural Women's Award and a national finalist, as well as being an Evoke Ag 2023 Future Young Leader. It's something that's not at the front of people's minds. And so just by starting that conversation, having, say, ability agriculture stories in your workplace to have that broader conversation around disability and then getting people to think in their workplaces, oh, actually, like, what could we have in this workplace or a role in our workplace that's accessible or do we think that our workplace itself is accessible? I think just starting with that conversation is so important to having that chain effect. Earlier in the year, I think we were chatting, you over in Mexico studying your PhD, but your year's been huge. You've been involved in the Rural Women's Awards. You're the founder of Ability Agriculture, which is just going from strength to strength, uh, which is helping give a voice to people with a disability and help shift the perception of people involved in agriculture but actually what are the opportunities for people who are working with disabilities in our sector i think um that's kind of how i discovered you and i think it you're definitely someone who i've wanted to talk to for a little while Uh, your list of accolades kind of just keep going on josie so you've literally nearly kind of just walked straight off the stage of the national rural women's awards and then sure enough you're listed as one of the 2023 of okag future young leaders so there's certainly no dull moments in your life, Josie, but how are you? Busy, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, pretty good. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy year, um, but exciting year, that's for sure. Um, yeah, coming through the Royal Women's Award um, has been a pretty amazing experience in itself and just getting to connect to so many I want to say powerhouses. I know it's like a stereotypical, maybe cringy word, but just powerhouses of of um, regional and rural women that have, you know, so many great ideas for, you know, our rural areas. Um, just having that entire experience and connecting with people has been, yeah, amazing. And now to jump into a vocag, which is getting to connect with other like-minded, um, really passionate young people who are, you know, trying to think about the challenges of ag and and what we can contribute to that and, you know, how we can come together and problem solve. So, yeah, busy year, um, but loving it in the same bit of all the craziness, I guess. So, yeah. And you're nearly setting up 2023 in the same way. February on the stage, future young leaders. Just looking at the list of people that are listed there, everyone's got their own little I guess, passion projects or own business ideas or something that they're working on. It's, uh, it's remarkable. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, looking from, you know, greater cultural awareness and diversity in ag um, through to Jack, which is just um, bringing the world of ag to other people and connecting people with, um, you know, ag business. But I think that's probably like the beauty of getting in there and it's actually spending the time with the others over the few days, you'll just learn a heck of a lot. But let's focus on Rural Women's uh, Awards and the experiences off that. What were kind of your, what were the big takeaways or enablers for you out of that whole experience? Um, Just having the confidence to realise that you deserve to be, you know, there for people to hear you and 
and learning how to pitch to people about your idea or your business. I think for me, it's really hard to ask for help or feedback. And I, I always say to people, I'm not a business person. So learning about, you know, how to pitch to people and and why your project's important, but also having that connection and telling your story is so important. And for me, just having that confidence to be able to do that now has changed, I think, you know, me going into the future, um, having that confidence to talk to people and connect a lot more. Yeah, I think the Royal Women's Award is just a really great thing to recognise rural women, but also, you know, the impact that we can have and are having. So, yeah. What, what was it? What was your favourite part of the whole piece? Um, for me, it was being in Canberra and just seeing, you know, the story of Ability Agriculture and the voices of Ability Agriculture and this um, topic of accessibility in agriculture heard at a national stage. I think our industry needs to talk about it a lot more and, you know, agriculture is an awesome industry to work in, but I think we need to really increase that transparency and show that, you know, ag is this supportive and inclusive um, career option and that it isn't defined by physical a physical workforce, um, which can be a bit of a misconception that still comes up. Um, and I think, you know, that was just to be able to be given that platform and to feel heard was just really cool. And then to have, you know, the connections from that event itself um, who want to come on board and help Ability Agriculture and, and see the success of it um, and the difference that we can kind of make for people with disability in agriculture, yeah, it's just shown to me how important it actually is. I think it's very easy for you to think, oh, yeah, I think this is a good idea or, I, you know, I really want to help people do this, but you'd be so surprised how many people also want to help you. Um, so, again, coming back to asking for help, it sometimes feels hard to do it, but you will be so surprised when you do because there's so many people that want to get behind you. Um, and I guess, yeah, the Royal Women's Award has just shown me that, you know, confidence but also massive support from the industry that I just didn't really know was there. So, yeah. Yeah, the affirmation that what you're actually doing is something that's kind of bigger than yourself and that, but you're actually showing people that it's possible, like in terms of, I think when it comes to say diversity, inclusion or whatever it might be for businesses, like people are saying, this is what we want to do, but it's like simple little things like you sharing the stories of different people actually can have a really huge impact um, on kind of the individual who's sharing their story, but then actually the industry going, okay, well, it doesn't have to be bigger than Ben-Hur and it doesn't have to cost us hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. It's actually simple steps can have really tangible impacts. Yeah, definitely. And I I think as well, it's very easy to say have large corporates have, you know, a diversity and inclusion officer and have all these, you know, things that exist around diversity and inclusion. But for me, it's just, um, you know, a massive part of agriculture is small businesses and small family businesses um, in rural areas. So, for me as well is how do we, you know, show that to large industry groups to then provide that support for those smaller businesses or smaller farm holders involved in agriculture um, and support them in saying if they did, you know, want to think about how could I make my workplace more accessible um, that they could do it and go to someone and, and have that conversation. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to be able to support um, that as well. 
I think we'll get to ability agriculture and what you're trying to do now and how that's kind of been, I guess, accelerated through the last few months. But like disability and and the challenges associated with it are really close to your heart. Like what, why is that? Ability agriculture is inspired by my family's story. So I'm originally from a beef cattle farm um, on the mid-north coast. And when I was five years old, my dad had a truck accident um, that left him a paraplegic. And so, yeah, our my family's life changed significantly. Um, but, yeah, we we stayed on our farm. We also um, managed our grandparents' farm at the time, but my pop didn't particularly see a future after my dad had his accident, so um, sold that property, um, but we stayed on our smaller property. So um, for me, though, is that, you know, I also work in agriculture, um, I've worked in horticulture as an agronomist and then I'm doing a PhD now in grains research. And it's just noticing those little things of, well, dad probably couldn't get into this place here or if I was at a field day or in my lab um, that dad wouldn't be able to get around the building. Um, there's still, you know, you have brand new buildings built in in regional areas that don't have a ramp or have stairs to places and you think, well, that's not actually accessible. So for me, it was just realising that, you know, in agriculture itself, there's not just this open conversation about um, accessibility and people with disability, um, you know, working in that industry. And the thing is, is that there are so many incredible people actually working in agriculture with disability. We just don't talk about it. So um, for me, it was, you know, I said to dad, you know, is is there anywhere that you could, you know, if you wanted to have a chat with someone else who worked in ag with a disability, if you wanted to like just talk to each other or share what you're doing on farm or share what you've modified to like stay on farm? And he said, no. So it was just a really strange concept that you just couldn't have that connection and and do that. So, yeah, I decided to create Ability Agriculture to start, you know, sharing those conversations and sharing those stories and and showing that, you know, that there is people with disability working in agriculture and it, it is possible. So, yeah. When when your old man had his accident, you guys were farming. He, he was farming at the time as well. Yeah, so we we have a had a beef cattle farm. Um, we also used to grow corn and soybean as well, um, but we also had a transport business. Um, Dad had, yeah, a few trucks and a business there. And so what were the options like for him in terms of he has this accident? Obviously, all of your lives have changed, but what about for him as well in yeah. terms of his day-to-day? For him, it was like work-wise, he was, yeah, he basically had to retrain for a desk job was his option that was given to him. Um, And a lot of stuff on farm, I have two older brothers and an older sister um, and we did a lot of, could do a lot of stuff on farm, but we did get a lot of help in um, to start with, which was, um, yeah, incredibly amazing, um, just how much the community really helped out as well. But, yeah, for Dad it was I think that adjustment period and understanding that he couldn't do a lot of things he used to was definitely hard. It wasn't easy. But then, you know, getting a gator that he could then drive around the farm and still being able to fix fences or he can do spot spraying and those things, like eventually, you know, we realised, you know, this is you can still do a lot of things on farm, but that adjustment period definitely was a very hard thing um, and it shouldn't be an easy thing either. Um, I think, you know, probably a lot of people have experienced that, especially after major accidents. 
Um, so yeah, it was a, a massive life change and yeah, for dad, it definitely wasn't an easy time. For, for you guys, in terms of you picking up a bit of the slack around the family farm, was it, were you always interested in agriculture or did it nearly kind of deter you a little bit, um, seeing it as, as chores maybe in those earlier years? Uh, I don't know. I always, I always kind of liked going to feed my chickens <laughs> and stuff. Um, yeah, we're, we're just on a small property, so nothing, um, too massive and it's on a floodplain too, which is pretty flat, which is pretty handy. So, um, for us, it was just, you know, I wouldn't say a very high maintenance farm compared to large operations or anything, but, um, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed learning. Um, for me, it was, you know, getting my brothers to do things I didn't want to do as well. Um, bit of management too. <laughs> wasn't a big fan of fencing um but I was definitely just more interested in like production side and science and I think you know I really was interested in how things grow when I was a kid and, and working that out so I don't know if you know I loved living on a farm and I loved being outside but I also liked science and I guess it was a journey for me to actually end up in ag because I think three months before I finished my uni degree I was doing work experience in a hospital in a cytogenetics ward um so yeah it was uh I think I ended up in ag but it wasn't I didn't do ag at high school in year 11 and 12 when I didn't study ag at uni um so yeah it was a roundabout way of me coming back to the industry but I'm really glad that I did um and so was that by chance that you ended up back in the sector? I like went to uni with like a, a science degree. So I got to do a few ag related subjects like horticulture, but then I did all of the genetics courses, cell biology, um, you name it, I did it. Um, and it just happened to have, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I finished my undergrad. I just knew I didn't want to do honours or a PhD straight away. And so, um, I just saw that Port Innovation had a grad program and I applied for it and I got into it. So that's just kind of what happened. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I don't think I thought I was ever going to end up in the middle of Queensland doing R&D and agronomy for like 150,000 blueberries and citrus trees you know, two weeks out of uni, I actually finished my last exam and they rang me the day of my last exam to like move up there. And I was like, I'm sorry, I've got to hang up. And you're like, I literally have my exam in 30 minutes, like, but I can move. Like I literally drove home from college, moved out of college, got my stuff and then moved to Queensland. Like it was just insane. So I really needed that year to realize what I wanted to do. I think um, I did like horticulture and agronomy, but um, I think I really liked research a lot more and I love genetics and I wasn't getting to work in genetics being an agronomist. So, um, yeah, it was kind of that realisation and, and just having that time away from uni to make me realise, okay, what do I actually like about ag and where do I want to see myself? And so I think that's how I ended up back on the um, research and gene editing pathway with my PhD now. So, um, yeah. Was that a logical pathway for you or did it take a lot of kind of questioning of, what do I like? What don't I like? And then start to work towards maybe what are ways that I can start to find out what else I don't like to help me yeah. down the avenue? I, I think I just, um, so I, yeah, I left that grad program. So you kind of had like a probation period where you could choose to stay on for the rest of the year or you could leave halfway through. And um, yeah, I had a connection with the university um, back at Narrabri. They have a research station there. And yeah, um, Helen 
said, yeah, we've got, you can be a research manager here. We've got a few trials with um, a few different industry groups. So, um, yeah, I ended up working at the university for the rest of the year and doing that. And, um, yeah, I just had a really good mentor who, you know, I wasn't just this technical officer going out every day in the field and just cutting plants. Um, she, you know, let me do a bit more than what I probably, you know, would have done in that role. So I got to do the analysis and everything. But, you know, she always asked me, you know, what do you want to do? And just having those conversations every week with someone who wanted to support you in your career was so beneficial um, for me because, yeah, I was like, okay, I do want to go back to uni and I do want to do this gene editing thing and, and get into it. So, um, yeah, I think just having that mentor there was a big game changer, but also I also had a really good mentor um, from the horticultural business, one of the farm owners, um, and he just realised he said to me, you know, when I went to leave, he was the only one. He said, you know, you're doing what you want to do because he just recognised how passionate I was about research and he didn't try and stop me. Whereas I think a few of the other people in the horticultural company were like, why are you leaving? Like, we'll offer you this or do you want to do this? Do you want to go here? It was like, you know what, that sounds great, but it's not for me. So, you know, having someone in your corner, even when you're, say, leaving their business or their company was just yeah, that was really reinforcing. And, and it, I didn't leave the horticultural industry with any bad, like, um, experiences. Um, you know, it's it's just, it was a really great experience and it was part of my career path and career journey and, and learning along the way, so. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. It sounds like it was a, a huge learning opportunity in terms of it wasn't leaving with yeah, kind of like an ill taste or anything like that. It was actually, well, there's another opportunity that I've, this has helped me work out what it is I really want to do and I'm going to go and pursue that which is huge like um hats off to you on that yeah it's um I think that's the thing like as young people when you go into a job you might think you can't leave because you're new and you want to be loyal to them and and all this stuff and it's something that until you're told yes to value yourself and to negotiate but also choose what makes you happy and what you want to do you know, I think when we get into our careers really young, you're really afraid of change. And for me is that you shouldn't be afraid to, you know, challenge yourself and make that change. So, yeah, if one bit of advice to young people is that, yeah, value yourself, but don't be afraid to um, chase what makes you happy and what you want to do with your career and where you see yourself going and, and make it happen. So, Well, I've had people on the podcast previously talk about um, using your 20s to work out like and trying lots of different things because as you start to move into your 30s like that's the time when you really start to build your career and 
foundation. Whereas the more things you can try, the more managers you can work out under in your twenties, the better you'll be to then shape yourself as you start to move through those ranks, which um, yeah, yeah, is is kind of really sound advice, I reckon. Your your studies now have taken you kind of all over. When when we chatted and you were in Mexico, like what was happening over there and how'd that opportunity come up? Yeah, so um, my PhD is with the University of Sydney, but we have collaborators with um, Corteva and Simit. So Simit's basically part of CGIR, but they do um, wheat and maize research, um, especially in developing countries. So it was kind of this collaboration there and I had supervisors in Mexico that kind of just walked me through the whole gene editing process and all that stuff, which was really exciting. So, yeah, just decided to go to Mexico for four months and, and you know, go work in a different institution and, and learn from everyone, which is, um, yeah, pretty insane. I thought, like, oh, my God, you're going to live in Mexico. Like, you know, probably not. I think my family were a bit worried. It's not the safest of places, obviously. But um, it was, yeah, it was a really cool experience. So how was it for you? Like in terms of you mentioned the safety side of things, did you, did you feel unsafe over there? Um, so I lived on a, a compound. So basically imagine a big university farm, but with a prison fence around it and 24-7 security. Certainly different. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very normal though, like even the houses outside of work, um, very much have like a kind of like in these little compounds themselves like that's just how things are in Mexico you have a big wire fence around your property and a few um, little savage dogs on your roof to warn people off um, oh, yeah. yeah safety I think I um, my supervisors were really good and there was um, actually a few young researchers that were there at the same time so we always went out in groups um, it was kind of a really weird realization when I came back to Australia that I went for a walk with my dog at night and I was like, um, had not done that for four months, like walked in a public place at night because it's just something you can't do, especially as a woman in Mexico. They like, that's one of the first things they really highlighted to me at work was even if you're in a group of women walking, it's just not safe. Um, so yeah, did a lot of stuff in the daytime, which was fun. Um, and yeah, got to do a few little um, trips. There's some really amazing like culture and history there with like the Aztecs and the pyramids and going to Cancun and, and all those places. Um, so yeah, I only got one stomach bug <laughs> and then got bit by a Central American bot fly. So that was even better. Oh, my God. So you, you did manage yeah. to do the things which people would normally go to Mexico for as well as doing a bit of ag. What, what was the agriculture industry yeah. like there? So where I was based is just outside of Mexico City, which isn't actually where a lot of the agricultural kind of big places are in Mexico. It's more um, north towards the border there with America. It tends to be their big growing regions. Um, but, yeah, on the – research station that I was on um, they definitely do um, corn maize is their main um, thing that they grow there um, another really cool thing though is that they have cactus farms there was a lot of cactus farms around where I was and they actually you can go into Walmart and, and buy cactus to have in your salad which was just like insane to me so <laughs> Um, but that was really cool. Um, and it's a bit cheaper than the $100 cactuses that you might find at Bondi Market. So, yeah, I think cactuses was the most surprising thing. Um, but, yeah, got to go to a tequila farm, agave farm, which was um, really cool. And um, the farmer there was just really nice and kind of showed us what he was doing because he was um, how you they like 
cut some of the leaves off and then let it grow a bit bigger and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's the thing is that Mexican people are like some of the nicest people that you can meet um, as well. So, um, yeah, the culture itself is really vibrant and fun and, and really welcoming. So, And I've just written yeah. myself a note here as well to go and look at cactuses in salads because I've never, ever heard of that. So here you go. I'm getting cultured <laughs> from afar. <laughs> <laughs> You're obviously very passionate about the research side of things. Like you, it's so obvious when you're talking about it. But this passion around ability agriculture and that side of work is it? Is it something that you want to do full time, or would love to spend more time in, or do you actually really love balancing these two passions? I think I like balancing the two. Um, for me, is that um, with ability agriculture, I'm actually in the process of of making it a non-for-profit and a, and a charity. So I'm, um, yeah, currently looking to bring on some board members um, to really just get it going. I think um, for me is recognising that ability agriculture, um, I want it to be a lot bigger than what it is and that I can't do that by myself either. So um, for me, bringing in more people with my passion project to really take it to where it needs to be has been a, a massive thing for me to realise this year and to want to achieve. So, yeah, I'm currently in the process of, of doing that. Um, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, there's so many opportunities. You know, you can go to your everyday job for me is, is research, but you can have these passion projects and sit on boards and, and do these other things as well. You don't have to be defined by one thing that you need to do in your life I think that sometimes you're expected to be um so for me is that um yeah I definitely want to commit to ability agriculture being um to growing it and and juggling that with my PhD um as well as as being a really good challenge but I actually really like being busy so it kind of works in my favor at the moment um so yeah love the chaos (laughs) what is the impact that you want to have through it yeah there's a, a few things that I want to do um but for me, it's just to see that there is more voices and support um, in the industry for disability, um, especially when we're talking about, you know, workforce planning, you know, workforce shortages are a massive thing in agriculture. Um, and so for me, it's just having people have their voices heard um, is a massive thing that I want to see um, happen. And so for me, it is creating a fund to basically um sponsor people or if they need a scholarship to do you know a leadership course or further study if they want to do that so they can get into those positions um and as well just have um that support from the industry I think um also with that fund is looking at sponsoring people to go to conferences you know you might not think why is someone here with a disability not at this conference because they're you know they're not in agriculture it's maybe because they can't get there and they need a bit more support to get there so for me it's it's looking at supporting people if they need that to to get to those big conferences and have their voices heard as, as well um and again on that transparency front with the industry I'd I'd really love for there to just be a um dedicated job site on accessible roles in agriculture in and rural areas um you know I think you can talk about sustainability and get caught up in carbon credits and all those things, but a massive thing with sustainability is sustainable communities and and having a, a sustainable workforce and jobs in rural communities 
important, but um, yeah, to support, you know, minority groups and say people with disability is such an important thing for our rural communities to be able to thrive. Um, so yeah, I think just having that transparency around roles um, is, is really important and having a dedicated site there, I think would, um, you know, break down that barrier because a lot of the time, I think there's a statistic around it, um, but basically, yeah, actually, no, Noella. Um, I did a story on Noella. She's a paraquestrian from Strathalban or Strathalbine in South Australia. People Make sure you say it properly. <laughs> Correct me. <laughs> They'll tell me. Um, yeah, she said, she, you know, she's a paraquestrian and she looked at, you know, a job advertisement, you know, in Northern Territory and you read a job advertisement and she said, it just doesn't sound like it's accessible for me, but there's no, you know, thing there that's um, breaking down that barrier to encourage or make someone feel comfortable in asking those questions, like to further ask them, oh, like if I needed this extra support or could this role be accessible, there's nothing really fueling that. So that's why I think like a transparent job site that could encourage that support there to inquire about a role and its accessibility um, would break down that massive barrier. Do you think part of it is really just like awareness in terms of like people are talking about diversity and inclusion in a number of ways, but it actually just isn't even on the radar. So it's actually just getting companies yeah. aware of when you're writing a job ad, this is how, if it's if it's possible for the job to be done by someone who is physically disabled or whatever those kind of requirements yeah. are, actually just thinking more deeply about the the process. It's something that's not at the front of people's minds. And so just by starting that conversation and having, say, ability agricultural stories in your workplace to have that broader conversation around disability and then getting people to think in their workplaces, oh, actually, like, what could we have in this workplace or a role in our workplace that's accessible or do we think that our workplace itself is accessible? I think just starting with that conversation is so important to having that chain effect um, happening. But I think also, like I said before, it's very easy for, say, large corporate businesses to put a little thing at the end to say, you know, um, please inquire or something. But I think that there just needs to be this recognisable symbol straight away because that little disclosure tends to be at the end of the ad, of the job ad, or there's some like industry programs at the moment where it's not very obvious at all where this little disclosure thing is. So I think you know, if you had this symbol like a Twitter check, check mark or something straight away where it is, you know, that's a sign that's very like symbol that's very easily recognisable as saying this is an inclusive and supportive or diverse position and for anyone to like inquire more if they had questions. I think simplifying that in a way will actually make it more transparent and having it, yeah, not in the fine print per se, um, I think is a is a thing that we could, you know, not to overcomplicate things, just to have this simple symbol there to, to encourage that um, transparency there. So, Well, interestingly, I was seeing a stat that it's like 75% of people with a disability don't actually disclose their disability up front. Like that's, even if it's just yeah. part of in terms of the conversation and that confidence piece of going, well, actually, yeah, um, this is the challenge I've got. It's actually yeah. not going to limit me in this role. But then you're actually, yeah. you're building a really safe kind of environment, which is like absolutely what you want out of a workplace anyway. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I think that's the thing, like, you know, that 75% statistic is like it almost, yes, it shows like there's maybe this lack of open conversation and support 
but it kind of just shows that maybe there's a fear that like if I disclose to someone that I need extra support or I have a disability that I won't get this role, like for me is that like that's what we need to change is that we're an open workplace, we're supportive and if you need to disclose to us that you need extra support, then that's okay as well. Like I think that's a, yeah, it's a massive thing that, you know, it's it's a 75%, that's a massive number, like it is, and it shouldn't be that number at all, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I think just that workplace support and safe environment is, yeah, needs to kind of change. Definitely. And I think uh, like off the back of that recent job summit in terms of the the areas which government, industry and kind of like the unions signed up to was around prioritizing and encouraging participation in the industry among well, was a range of people but among women indigenous people youth people with disabilities and older australians so is that something you think you'll take to the stage as a bit of ammo knowing that there's some key people in the room at uh at evoke ag in terms of the stats are there like it's black and white in terms of where they sit but yeah. actually this is a priority focus area for what the industry is signing yeah. themselves up for. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Dylan Alcott summarised it perfectly that the statistic for people with disability who are employed, that hasn't changed in his lifetime. So it hasn't changed in our lifetimes either. And I'm 25 years old. So the fact that that isn't increasing shows that and over how long, like there's work that we need to do and can do in agriculture to to increase it um, for our industry itself. And, you know, I think for us as, you know, as an industry, what do we want to do to tackle that statistic kind of thing and what's our plan for that and how can we do that? And so I definitely think this conversation and, and greater transparency in our industry is is a massive start to that. And for me as well, it is not just people with disability who are already associated with agriculture already have this association to work in the industry but showing that someone with a disability who might not have thought of agriculture as a career are considering it as a career I think that's what we need to really um, emphasize because I I think again that can be a misconception that you know um, oh this person with disabilities only stayed in agriculture because they know someone Um, and that's not the case it's definitely not the case at all but I think you know we need to to be more transparent and and yeah show that so yeah well i reckon the stuff you're doing is incredible and you're definitely a bit of a trailblazer in this space and there'll be so many people whether it's this the people who you're sharing the stories of or the people in the audience who either can can relate to it and see themselves or even just a, you're getting it front of mind for people i think the impact in all honesty the vast majority of it you probably will never see but It'll be pieces which uh, people will carry with them, which will be huge and kind of ongoing. So um, I've got a few questions I want to finish to wrap up with and I ask everyone. Uh, firstly, I'm going to ask so Penny, who was recently on the podcast as part of our Evoke Ag collaboration. She, she asked the question around what does sustainable farming actually mean? And so I'd love to know what does it actually mean to you? Yeah, so I think that... Um, with sustainability, it's it's very easy for us to get caught up on this wonderful thing called carbon credits and and all of that stuff. Um, and the thing is, is that for me, sustainability is so much more 
than just that part of it. But I think that's something we tend to just hyper-focus on. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot more sustainable development goals. And for me is that, you know, sustainable farming is not just about the environmental aspect. It's about, um, you know, our sustainable community. So communities, reduced inequalities and all those things. So I think um, for me is, you know, jobs in agriculture is a massive driver for sustainable communities because you have that income and growth of populations and development for our rural communities. So, um, yeah, for me, sustainable farming, it goes beyond this focus on, um, you know, carbon credits and things, but also, you know, the sustainability of our workforces and, again, succession planning, sustainability of, of keeping people and, and young people and families in, in agriculture is a massive thing as well. So, yeah, sustainability itself is a massive um, topic. You could probably talk about it for five days straight. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of things. But I think for me it's really important to, to recognise that it, it's not just this environmental focus as well for sure for sure i think it's a big part which people are talking more and more about in terms of got to be profitable before you can even be sustainable because otherwise you can yeah put all the ideas out there but they're actually not going to get you anywhere unless you can actually continue doing business and and doing good through doing business so question you get the, the chance to go down to down the road to a year 10 or to a school and chat to year 10 students what's your advice to them about a career in agriculture I think, um, funnily enough, I actually talk to my old high school ag students every year already. Oh, this is so, cheating now, isn't it? Um, my, my, <laughs> my, my advice for, every, for, for students is that um, even if you don't study ag science at uni, you can have a job in agriculture. Um, and it's, again, not defined by this working on a farm. You can work in agribusiness you can work in finance there are so many different roles um, and a diversity of roles in agriculture and that you can go in and study engineering and end up working in agriculture so for me it's just keep your eyes open and and say if your career path in the first place isn't necessarily with agriculture in mind um, you might be pretty surprised um, yeah where you end up and that it can be agriculture and it's a pretty um, I'd say it's a pretty fun workplace or career to work in. I, I love just getting to be outside in the paddock sometime and then I get to be in my my lab and be a bit of a nerd sometimes too. So, yeah, I think there's just so much opportunity in a diversity of roles. Um, yeah, just keep your eyes open. So, And I think you're a living proof of that. You can be studying a Bachelor of Science and then end up going down the pathway, getting a job in agriculture and ultimately studying a PhD as well, which is so cool. One final question, and you're allowed to answer this one with a question. What's a question you'd like me to ask a future guest? Oh, I guess how do you, how can the industry really facilitate young people and that succession of young people into leadership roles? Yeah, I think it's such a broad topic, but you know, you can you can go through a lot of leadership development programs, but actually giving young people real opportunity from that, I think, is that conversion there of of having that opportunity happen and take place is a bit of a, yeah, gray area, I think. So something along those lines, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, how can organizations better enable young people within them? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll yeah. uh, think of someone I can ask that to, but Josie, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. I think I'm excited to see you take the stage next year 
at Evoke Ag. Thank you for coming on and having a chat and good luck with everything else. And I will see you. God, it's scary. I'll see you next year. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) This episode is part of our collaboration with Evoke Ag. We're excited to be heading to Evoke Ag beginning of 2023. If you want to head to their event, it'll be held on the 21st to the 22nd of February in Adelaide, South Australia. If you're interested in attending the two-day full-scale global event or partnering, visit evokeag.com for more details. Well, guys, that's it from us for another week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We've got plenty happening. We're about to launch another video. We are... Um, in the midst of about to hit the road again and film and hopefully we'll be finding a new team member as well look after yourselves stay safe stay sane we can't wait to see you again next week cheers